This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's pledge season on Slate Podcasts. If you love working, you can help support it by joining Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus. We'll be talking about it more later in the show. The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to Working, the podcast about what people do all day. I'm Jacob Brogan. This season, we're sitting down with the writer and artists behind the comic book Batman to learn a little bit about how their stories of the Dark Knight come together, from concept to execution. For this episode, we talked to Darren Bennett, who is what's known as a letterer in the comics business. In effect, that means he adds both words and word balloons to the page. While that may seem like a simple task, everything from font choices to the shape of the balloons themselves can have dramatic effects on the ways a reader experiences the printed page. In this episode, Bennett discusses those artistic principles and explores how his choices fit in with the broader creative process of producing a superhero comic. Then, in a Slate Plus Extra, Bennett shares some thoughts on his favorite fonts and talks about the ones that really drive him crazy. If you're a font person, this Slate Plus Extra is for you. What is your name and what do you do? I'm Darren Bennett, comic book letterer and owner of End World Design, a comic book lettering studio. What does that mean exactly? What what is the role that a comic book letterer plays in the process of making comic books? So essentially, the letterer is a role player in comics. You have this sort of system where it's sort of an um, assembly line system. You have the, the writer writes out the script, taken to the um, penciler to do the pencils. Then uh, it either gets inked by the, the same artist or another artist, um, which then goes to the colorist and the letterer at the same time. Now, the letterer's role is to put on all the text that the the writer has has scripted out. And so basically any of the text that you're seeing on a comic book page is the responsibility of the letterer. So all the cool sound effects, the, the boom pals and all that stuff, that's also the responsibility of the letter, as well as um, the placement of the word balloons and all the dialogue within there. So we've been talking to a lot of other people involved with that process. But one thing you said that's interesting is that it, it goes at this point stage, it sounds like it, it almost the process forked somewhat that you said it goes to both the color and the letterer uh, at the same time. Uh, how does that work? Yeah, I think that's more of, you know, um, with the with the advent of uh, digital, um, you know, lettering and coloring, you can you can sort of uh, do it at the same time rather than have uh, one person do the next step in the job and then hand it off. Because uh, you're both working from so, the same scans of the Exactly. Page. 
Exactly. So the um the digital file is already formatted, and um as long as we're getting the the same size format, uh, you can usually marry both the the final colors and the final letters together without any um, problems. There have been situations where you know um, artists aren't working from the same file, and you, you can cause misalignment there, <laughs> which which tends to be a problem. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk to you in in more detail in a moment about the particulars of your actual part of the process. But before we get into that, I'm curious uh, how you got into this line of work in the first place. How did you become a comic book letterer? Um, I guess I've always been sort of an artist. Um, actually, um, growing up, I wanted to be like the next Walt Disney. I, everybody mm-hmm. um, in my life at the time was- Guy with a great me. signature. Oh, that, that guy understood letters. <laughs> Yeah. So it was, um, it was really more of an artist thing. I wanted to be an animator uh-huh. originally. And um, I, I sort of followed that path as long as I could and um, ended up taking on uh, writing as well. And so in, in around high school, I guess, I decided, uh, you know, comics was the medium for me because it married two of the things that I love, writing and, and drawing. So mm-hmm. I um, went to um, the Savannah College of Art and Design to study uh, sequential art, basically telling stories through images. And uh, from there, um, just looked around for any kind of job I could find. Um, and a, a, a relative of mine was out in L.A. I lived in um, New Jersey at the time, and they invited me to go over to the Warner Brothers studio to, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, just f- interview for a job. And so I, I took a risk, uh, flew out there, and did the interview, but I, it wasn't panning out fast enough. I, I had, you know, bills to pay, everything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so I, I kept digging around for different jobs. And I, I um, filled out an application or, or just basically sent out a blind email to um, the vice president, um, actually, the COO of um, Tokyo Pop, which is uh, a, it was the biggest um, manga uh, distributor at the time. They do like manga translations is, uh, of manga. I guess, right? Yes, yes, basically, yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, Japanese comics that we're um, uh, localizing in the United States, mm-hmm. and they were the big company at the time. And uh, they brought me in for, for the job, and I ended up doing uh, lettering on manga first. That was my first foray into lettering. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that all of the nuances in, in lettering were, were sort of like something pretty cool. Like I can, I, can um, I, I thought of it as a stepping stone into something greater, you know, drawing and, and writing. But um, I found that um, I actually liked it. I liked, you know, playing around with the fonts. And and, um, and in manga, they have hand-drawn sound effects and hand-drawn balloons and everything like that. And I looked at those things as sort of a new artistic puzzle that I can kind of delve into. And uh, it just really, you know, typography just started becoming something more integrated into my life. And I really found it pretty cool as, as, as a way to express myself. So in this series, we've been talking to a lot of people who worked on one particular issue of Batman, uh, this one, 24, but uh, where, where, where uh, uh, Batman famously proposes to, uh, to Catwoman. But uh, how did you make your way from working on translations of manga to uh, working with DC Comics uh, and, and all of the artists that are, that are on these books? Uh, it sort of snowballed from, from that one job, um, working at Tokyo Pop as a as letterer and layout artist there. Um, I found um, more work, looking for more work in manga, and I ended up um, talking to um, the editor over at um, CMX, which was uh, DC's manga line at the time, Mm -hmm. and I started working with the editors over there. Um, Jim Chadwick was one of those guys, 
and he was really, you know, um, pretty encouraging about my work. And um, he, he uh, would offer me opportunities uh, later on down the line when CMX folded up um, to do, um, you know, the Western comics. And that's how I, I familiarized myself with some of the, the DC editors and everybody mm-hmm. over there. And it sort of just snowballed into more jobs. And the same thing as, as I was working with different other companies, um, I'd get recommended for more jobs. And that's how I, I sort of established myself within the industry. So how do jobs come to you? Do you have to seek out editors and say like, hey, I you know have hours that I could fill up working on your book? Or do they come to you at this point? At this point, um, I'm fortunate enough that I, I get enough work coming in um, initially Starting up, I, I would I would seek out jobs. Um, social media was pretty big, where I would go online looking for, uh, on looking on Twitter, who, who's who's looking for a letter, and I'd reach out to various independent artists or independent writers who were looking for things. Um, but uh, I, like I said, I was fortunate enough to make connections early in my career that I would get recommended for for jobs here and there, and it, it filled up so fast where people were offering me jobs based on uh, what I'd done before so hmm. once I was finished with another job then something else would line it up line up and it was um you know pretty um pretty good that way where I didn't have to always search out for jobs and now it's it's more common that um that I get a lot of work just based on um the previous work that I've done were you always a, a comic book fan uh, I mean you, you were into animation and you, you found your way in through manga but were you into superheroes and stuff Oh yeah, um, more when I was younger, I'd say um, some of the the movies influenced me more. You know, mm-hmm. Superman and things of that nature. Um, I was I was definitely into cartoons. Uh, that was my big thing. But it, I also read a lot of of um, you know uh, comic strips instead of mm-hmm. comic books. I I was really big into comic strips. I would read Calvin and Hobbes, um, Garfield, uh, any any kind of Sunday funnies, uh, Family Circus, all those things really. Uh, were were my comics at the time. Uh, it wasn't until the 90s that I really got heavy into comics. This is around the same time, you know, I entered middle school, high school, mm-hmm. uh, where um, Milestone Comics was a big factor. I, I stumbled upon Milestone. They were pushing diversity and everything like that, and I, I was drawn to that. I was drawn to the characters they were building, the world that they were building. Mm-hmm. And so that was where I really decided, oh, this is something that I can pursue. This is mm-hmm. where I can tell the stories that I want to tell um, in a way that I want to, to tell them. Yeah. So lettering is, is one of the parts of the process that is enormously important uh, in producing comics, but that I think also often gets ignored by a, a lot of fans. There, there are a handful of uh, letterers who are well-known in, in the 90s. For example, a guy named Todd Klein was, was, <laughs> was well-known for his, his work on books like Sandman. But do you feel like you get recognition for what you contribute to, to to these books um i think it's it's probably you get more recognition within the industry rather mm-hmm. than from the fandom uh it's it's been a bigger push for letters such as myself to sort of um show what we do mm-hmm. as, as opposed to you know just sitting in and and letting it just um be there we we want to let you know that there's there's an artist, there's a, a person responsible for this part of the comic. And it, it's become an, an important thing because um, as well, things like this where, where I'm sitting here and explaining, I think those are, are 
venues and, and avenues that we're we're seeking so that the general audience can be aware of what it is that we do, what it is that we bring to a page. Yeah. Um, it's not just, you know, these these things just magically appear. You're, you are, you're brought on as a professional to really help tell the story in some way, um, whether you're, you're adding, um, you know, some sort of level of, of creativity through, through the balloon styles, through the art style um, mm-hmm. that you've established in, in the, whether it's the sound effects or the captions or whatever. Um, we're, we're bringing something to help tell that story, to help um, guide the, the reader through the book. And I think it's important that, that fans and, uh, you know, some, other industry professionals who, who might not be aware of uh, what it is we do mm-hmm. also become aware because it is an integral part of making comics. Yeah. So tell me what a typical day is like for you. It seems like it's a full-time job, but is it a nine-to-five gig? A nine-to-five gig. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I try to kind of tame my daily routine. Um, usually I can, I can be there from... From morning until well into to oh, into the next morning, basically, <laughs> um, it's uh, lettering is is basically a, a game of volume. Uh, whereas a a penciler might be working on one single book, we have to work on multiple books at the same time in order to to be successful as letterers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, with deadline after deadline, you're you're constantly trying to to manage um, all of these different projects so that they go out on time. And so I. I Typically, start my day. Um, I w- I'll wake up, get getting the kids ready for school and everything, uh, and then um, get my coffee. Coffee's important. Yeah. And then I'll I'll go into the office and just uh, start to go through. Is it a home office or do you have a separate studio? Uh, it's a home office. Yeah. Um, it's originally a. Uh, I, I've moved in the past two years, but at my previous home, I was I was in a closet. I was stuck in a closet. So, so this is an upgrade. It's I have a whole room up, to yeah. myself now. Yeah. Is it um, is it like a, a do you like decorate it with comic stuff or or is it like a pretty spare environment in there? Um, it's it's fairly decorated. I, I'd like a little more stuff. Um, I have the, the walls decorated with different art. Um, I have um an Iron Man uh, uh, photo. Um, and then I have toys all around. There's, there's nice. a bunch of He-Man toys. He-Man's my, uh, my big childhood <laughs> influence. And so that I have a bunch of Masters of the Universe stuff. Um, have you ever lettered, a, letter, ever lettered a He-Man book? I have. I have. I was, uh, you know, that was my, my, one of my biggest achievements. Uh, <laughs> I was really excited. I, I get a lot of licensed properties, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So I get to where I've worked on, um, you know, Th- Thundercats, Voltron, and He-Man, and these are some of my favorite things to work on because, mm-hmm. you know, they're so so close to my heart that um, I get I get to do these things um, that I, you know, looked up to as, as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely um, pretty fortunate that I got to work on uh, He-Man books um, through DC and um, the the uh, Thundercats He-Man crossover was, was nice. pretty cool too. Nice. So you're working, I, I guess, I, I imagine, based on what you've said so far, almost entirely digitally, right? Uh, are you just getting these pages emailed to you? Is that how it starts off? Yeah. Um, what will happen is they'll they'll send files via um, FTP or, or cloud um, cloud storage. Because these are big um, files, right? They're like, yeah, like an, an issue colors. might be a, a gigabyte or something like this. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, you, you try and compress down files as much as possible. Uh, they don't have to be big, but uh, a lot of artists are, are sending 
their their layered files and such um just so that you know they can easily manipulate things in the end mm-hmm. um when it comes to me I, I try to compress them down as much as possible uh i'll get a file um and if it's over- oversized i can um size it down uh still at print print resolution um, but I'm basically trying to get it down to a manageable, manageable size so that these things can transfer easily because it is all digital, but you can sort of clog up, um, you know, uh, file transfers by just having these huge, sure. enormous files. So sure. I try to keep them as, as small as possible. Um, but yeah, the, the editors will send me, uh, through, through different methods, uh, whether it's FTP or, um, cloud storage or even email, if they're really small, I'll, I'll get inks through email sometimes. And uh, I'll get the script and and go to town there. What what program are you working in? Um, what are you using to access the files? For um, for general comics, I'll, I'll use Illustrator. That's the um, primary Adobe Illustrator is the primary um, program for lettering comics. Uh, for lettering manga, which I still do, um, I use Adobe InDesign. It's, a, it's they're two different animals: uh, manga lettering versus uh, traditional Western lettering. Mm-hmm. Um, so the different programs, you try to use the right tool for the right job. And, um, I think InDesign is more catered towards layout, hmm. uh, where you can sort of, um, set up the pages a little differently and you're, you're, um, working with, um, just dropping in text over a, a series of pages, which, um, uh, helps out, uh, manga layout versus where you're getting a little more creative inside of, um, uh, Western lettering and uh, traditional comic books, you can get more creative. So you want to use something um, where you can sort of um, manipulate graphics a little more. Sure. And Illustrator's perfect for that. So, I mean, I, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that when you get uh, a manga, since you're working from a translation and there was already text on the page, you're working within the space of the uh, the, the word balloons, text bubbles that are already there on the page, right? Is that the distinction? Whereas my understanding is, when you're working on in a, these American comic books, you're putting everything uh, text-wise on the page, the word balloon and the words themselves. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, for, for manga, it's, it's already set there. Um, basically, your job is to kind of um, stay as true to the original Japanese book or, or whatever um, you know country it's, it's of, of origin that it's from. You want to stay true to the original style, and that that's really that um, part of the process there. Whereas in American comics, you know, you get to just... Um, you know, have your own uh, sort of styles, style choices, uh, whether you're going to do, um, you know, classic rounded balloons or do something a little more um, more untraditional. And you, you can make those sort of choices there uh, and, and just be a little more creative. And mm-hmm. that creative freedom is what um, draws me to American comics, which is why I wanted to get into American comics um, after working in manga so long. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, it's your working host, Jacob Rogan, and it is pledge season here at Slate. We want you, the listener, our listener, our friends, to help support the show and other Slate podcasts by joining Slate Plus, which you can do at slate.com slash working plus. Here to discuss that with me is Slate Plus editor, Gabe Roth. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. So if you have heard any of these segments before, you know we're asking Slate Podcast fans who have not yet joined Slate Plus uh, to make that commitment and to join Slate Plus. And the reason we're doing that is we make these podcasts for you and we hope that you value them. And if you value them, if they're an important part of your media diet, if working and the other Slate shows, the Political Gab Fest, Trump Cast, the Culture Gab Fest, uh, Slate's parenting podcast, Mom and Dad are Fighting, just to name a random example. Uh, if you value those shows and 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 uh, get something out of them every week, if you go back to them again and again, if they're an important part of your media diet, um, we want you to to help us make them, to help us produce them, and and to support them financially. How much does it cost to, to help support Slate shows financially? It costs $35 for your first year, uh, $50 per year after that. If you can afford that, uh, we hope you'll say, well, this is something that I value and that I enjoy, and I'm going to step up and pay for it. Obviously, uh, we get revenue from advertising on these podcasts, and, and that's meaningful, and, and that's great. But we want a, a larger share of our revenue to come from the people who listen, to come from the audience and the people who care about what we're making. Uh, and those people in return, they get their podcasts without advertising. They get extra segments on a lot of Slate podcasts. They get transcripts of other podcasts, including this one. They get a whole bunch of extra content on the site. They get special podcast miniseries like our Slate Academies and Culture Clubs that are not available to anyone other than Slate Plus members. There's a ton of extra stuff you get that, uh, if you're a real podcast fan, is definitely worth your time. But the main thing we're asking is if this is content that you value and care for, then uh, we're asking you to step up and support that. And they can sign up at slate.com slash working plus. That's exactly right. You want to use slate.com slash working plus so that we know that working is the show that you're the biggest fan of. And uh, we're having a little contest between the different shows. If you want Jacob to win that contest for working, go to slate.com slash working plus and sign up for Slate Plus right now. It would mean so much to us. Uh, and it is so important to, to Slate uh, that people come out and support the work that we are doing at Working and all the other shows for you. Thanks for coming on, Gabe. Hey, thanks for having me. So, so I think one thing that, you know, probably readers of comics often don't think about is that the shape and style, not just of the words written in the, the 
uh, on the page, but also of the text balloons themselves, the shape and style of those those balloons can can affect the way we read the page, the way that we interpret the meaning or the significance of the words that a character is thinking. A, a spiky edged uh, balloon might might indicate that someone's angry. Uh, one with kind of scalloped edges could indicate that they're thinking, for example, mm-hmm. instead of uh, speaking aloud. Um, do you some of those kind of details are just sort of formalized in the grammar of the medium. Uh, mm-hmm. But do you get much choice? Uh, do you do you have any kind of freedom when you're working on these books uh, about those kind of details, about the shape and style uh, and maybe even edging uh, of the balloons? Oh, for sure. Um, and that's that's part of the thing that, that letters bring to the book themselves. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is, is lettering is... is a form of art like any other, and I, I liken it to graphic design more than anything else, hmm. um, where you have all these principles in graphic design um, that you can play with to, to make the the artistic piece, um, you know, pop and sell. Um, you're you're doing the same thing in comic books and, and lettering. Hmm. Um, you're playing with principles like shape, like we like you're discussing here, um, contrast, uh, you know, spatial relationships, um, white space, negative space. And so you have all of these, these things balance um, that you're trying to convey um, graphically. Hmm. And you, you do those sort of things with um, lettering. And they, they help to, to, you know, really form the, the, the foundation for what the reader is ingesting. Um, and so, yeah, different, different things like line weights and um, shape of, of balloons, they're, they're really choices that, the letter will make, and personally, I make them based on the art that's given to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if the artist is is really sketchy with their with their style, really loose, and um, then I might do something to to sort of mimic that, and I'll I'll do thinner line weights around the balloons, or or the sound effects won't be as as bold and striking. Um, they'll they'll be sort of more whimsical, or or have have that loose quality as well. Um, if they're really tight drawings um you know with with sharp contour uh, with with, um strong contours and everything i might do a more bold balloon um balloon shape where it's just just uniform um around the edges the strokes will be uniform where they don't have that that tapering or anything Mm -hmm. uh so so it really depends on what the art is is giving me then that'll help inform my decisions to um to help design the, the the balloons and sound effects and other things of that nature. Do you ever have conversations with the penciler or the inker, maybe even the writer, uh, about those choices, or, or do you pretty much have, have creative freedom there? Um, th- there are times where I'll be in contact with the rest of the creative team, and I think those are the times where you can really tell that the book, there there's really a lot of care and, and put into the book and the quality shows mm-hmm. uh, so so I, I relish in those moments where I get to talk to the the artist or the writer and ask their thoughts and opinions on how they want to approach something mm-hmm. um, when they let me know their vision um, that helps to inform my ideas mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll sort of kick off ideas brainstorm and, and see what we can come up with and, and sort of really achieve what we're trying to do with this book mm-hmm. uh, but the, for the most part you know it's, it's really just an isolated thing where um, it's the communication is facilita- facilitated through the editor. Mm-hmm. I'll, they'll be my main point of contact, mm-hmm. and um, I'll let them know, you know, some of my choices, and they'll relay that over to the mm-hmm. writer or the artist. And um, yeah, we, we communicate that way, and that'll sort of shape the identity of the book. 
how much time when you're working on a given book do you would you say on average you spend talking with communicating with the editor it's it's constant um every you know every time i, f- I finish um the first leg of the book like we'll, we'll go in proofs um mm-hmm. so i'll i'll run through an initial draft send it over to the uh editor and they'll give it a look and um see what they need to change see what we need to improve send it back to me and so um we're, we're in constant communication over the whole process um from start to finish is that because a lot of what you're doing is is literally like laying these these uh words over the art so so is some of that about like moving things around making sure they're in the right place on the page and such Oh yeah, yeah. We definitely, you know, have to be aware of of placement, and the, the editor and the the writer as well. Uh, the other members of the creative team will have a a say in where we want to put things. Um, for the most part, I try to stay out of the art, and I have mm-hmm. you know a background in art, so that the artistic sensibility works with me. Where I'm, I'm I make sure I'm I'm trying not to cover um, the the action or or even the quiet moments as much. Um, because you you know you really want to let that part breathe. You're um, the role of the letterer is secondary, I mean, mm-hmm. even tertiary, um, where you're just there to sort of um, s- support what's already there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I definitely am self aware of of where I'm putting the balloons. But you know there, there'll be some times where I might put something where oh you know what that that sword is really important in this scene. It's going to play a role later. Um, can we move that off of the, mm-hmm. the, can we move that balloon off of there? And so that we can really see that and sell that part. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a collaborative effort where we're all trying to, you know, really make the, the book be the best that it can be. Yeah. So this is maybe like a really remedial dumb question, but do you make your own fonts? I mean, the, the old school letterers, like, you know, comics artists from the, uh, you know, doing superhero stuff, say in the '60s, they would like write everything out by hand. I think, and they mm-hmm. would literally be cutting out these balloons and pasting them on the art. You're not doing that, obviously. You're doing it. You're doing it digitally. But uh, where where does the font the font come from? Yeah, the font. Uh, for the most part, um, there are, are fonts out there. You can go through. Uh, Comicraft is is one of the big names. Blambot is also another uh, font foundry where uh, comic book letterers will go to. I have done my own fonts, and um, we've done special fonts for different books. Mm-hmm. I think um, Tale of Sand, which is the book I, I believe I'm, I'm most known for, is um, it's a Jim Henson um, piece. And so we, we spoke with the Henson Company, and they wanted to, to do something really special with this book. And we all, we all thought that it would be a good idea to sort of use Henson's own handwriting and use that as mm-hmm. the dialogue font. And mm-hmm. so I was... Um, contracted to do the the font for the for the book and so mm. I, I did a font a comic book font based on Jim Henson's handwriting and uh, you know it, it, it really helped um, the aesthetic of the book because it was it was so integral for that for that particular piece and um, I've, I've done a few fonts as well for other books um, just because I, I really feel like um, you know it's, it's important to to match and not only to match, but to, to you know, sort of um, just give that sort of extra embellishment to mm-hmm. the book um, where it the the font isn't just, you know, picked out willy nilly. You're, you're really thinking about why is this important for this book? How, how does it help mm-hmm. the the art itself? Um, and so, um, yeah, if, if it calls for it, I will 
um, build a font, but it, it is time consuming. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's something that um, that I haven't done often. I've done maybe um, four four different fonts, and uh, yeah, I'll leave the rest to the other foundries and uh, purchase fonts here and there. Does the script that you get from the writer ever dictate details like that? Like this person should be in a kind of cursive font, you know, styled font mm-hmm. or, or or things like that. Yeah, definitely. With um, you know, the different characters that are out there, you'll you'll have people who have more, more of a raspy voice, and so you want to sell that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the writer will leave notes within the script whether whether they want something, um, you know, particular for a character if they want a, a scratchy voice or if they want um something a little more, um out of the ordinary they'll they'll leave a note there and say or even the, the shape of the balloon might be um in that note where they want something angular or or something a little more um wobbly you know if you, if a character's um sort of um woozy or, or intoxicated or anything like that they might want that that uh that wobbly balloon that indicates that this mm-hmm. character this character's not you know functioning normally something's wrong here that'll give you know the visual indicator to the reader that things are a little off here and, and pay attention to this part. And the, the writer is definitely, you know, self-aware of what he wants to achieve and, and conveys that to, to us as well. So another really practical question, are you drawing the balloons yourself in the program or, or does it have uh, pre-generated uh, balloons that you can use? In Illustrator, Illustrator is a um, vector program, so it does have different shapes already created. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I find... Is that um, you know they're they're too stiff and not as organic. So um, I I'm, I work on a Cintiq. That's a um, a Wacom Cintiq mm-hmm. uh, where it, you can you know a drawing tablet use it just like right? a drawing tablet. Yes, and so you, you're basically drawing on that tablet. And I I use that to create the the balloon shapes. Um, not always. Sometimes I'll use the the um, the ellipses from the program and, and reshape those just a little bit so they're not as circular. They'll have a little more um, stretch and and, and um, pull to them. Hmm. So uh, yeah, you can use the established elliptical shapes or you know do something a little more organic. And hmm. um, I find the organic stuff sort of um, helps helps um, with the art style a little more often more often than not. Hmm. So when a page first comes to you um, to to kind of return to that when you first are looking at the thing you're going to work on, you have inked art, panel layouts, all of that. You've also got the script from the writer uh, from which you, you're going to decide what goes where. But it may be sketchy about, say, the placement of bubble, of the word balloons within uh, a given panel, right? You just know mm-hmm. how many balloons are going to be, how much space they have to fill and such. What's the first thing you do once you've looked at all that do you read the script all the way through before you get going uh or you just work in one page one panel at a time uh it's it's more of a one page one panel at a time format um i hardly ever read the script uh as soon as that's sent uh, it's it's mostly um once i have the art i'll look at the art and sort of brainstorm for ideas there um i think that's a little more uh in my priority list what i want to accomplish with mm-hmm. with the lettering is is to look at the art and, and sort of um you know, familiarize myself with that as much as possible uh, to get a foundation for what I want to do creatively there. And mm-hmm. so I'll take a look at the art, go through each of the pages, see what's there. Um, and I'll also look at the art for for technical things. Um, I think that's that's part of um, the letter's job that 
is is sort of lost upon um, uh, people who aren't aware of what the job is um, that that we are responsible for a lot of the the formatting there. Um, hmm. If a page is is not to spec, I'll I'll talk with the editor and, and just make sure we're we're getting a page that is um, you know standard comic book size, hmm. and um, make sure that the letters um, can line up and within the the safety. Um, I I believe I was, I was listening to um, one of the 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 artists, um, David Finch, and mm-hmm. he was talking about the having the the bleed and the the trim and the um, the, the ways that the art extends over the edge of the printable page, right? Exactly, and so um, as letters, we also have to be aware of that, where where we can stay within the margin, so that we're not um, having anything close to the trim, and uh, be aware of the bleed, so that nothing is cut off. That's that's really important there, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah, I'll take a look at the art for for things like that, for the technical aspects and for the creative aspects as well, and then um, once I get, uh, once I get the first page into my template, I'll usually um, drop them into a, t- a pre-made template that has some uh, general balloons that I use as a as a baseline and then um, use those and I'm trying to figure out where I want to go from here hmm. and I'll set up that first page um, determining the font that I want to use determining the the balloon shapes that I want to use and um, general general style things like that and do that first page if it's a if it's a first issue or if it's you know the first time I'm working on a book um, I, I'll probably send over to the editor or to the creative team and see if, you know, this is something that they approve of. Mm-hmm. And once I get feedback on that, well, then I'll work through the rest of the pages. Generally speaking, how long does it take you to do a given page? I mean, I, I'm sure it depends a, on the amount of text and all of that, but is there a kind of average time frame that you shoot for uh, to maintain your working schedule? Um, I shoot for um, six pages an hour. Okay. So... However, that works out mathematically. Yeah, six pages an hour. Um, I can I can usually finish a twenty-two com- comic book pay, um, project within uh, around five hours, the five-hour mark. If I'm taking more than five hours, uh, the project uh, must have <laughs> a lot of extra extra things going on there. Whether it's uh, you know uh, overly wordy or something like that, but. If I'm, I'm more than five hours in, or you know, conversely, it might not just be you know something problematic. It might be something where I'm doing extra creatively because the the art calls for it. Where I might do um, some hand drawn stuff. Where I'm, I so there there are times where I'll jump out of Illustrator, go into Photoshop or um, Clip Studio, and um, draw out some of the sound effects myself and bring those back into Illustrator and manipulate those there. Are you uh, copying? The, the words directly over, like copying and pasting words from the script, or do you have to retype it into uh, Illustrator or the other programs that you're using? Uh, the script is copy-pasted. Um, that's that's very key. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people might not realize that, but but it, in this digital age, everything is uh, boom, boom, boom. We have to be really fast. And uh, if I'm retyping, uh, we, we might as well just go back to hand lettering <laughs> where, where uh, you know, I'll, I'll write out every letter. Yeah. Um, but basically, and and there, there's more cause for concern because you know i'm retyping it i might make a mistake there um Mm -hmm. so we'll get occasionally somebody will send a a pdf script Mm -hmm. um where the the words you you can't copy paste from the pdf unless it's um you know ocr ready um 
and if you're trying to copy um if you're you're trying to send me a pdf script and i can't copy paste from it i'll i'll usually request a a, a word doc or a rtf mm-hmm. that i can copy paste from because uh yeah we'll, we'll run into a tons of problems if you let me copy paste this script. <laughs> sure what about copy editing i mean do you have to look over the work once you've finished a page to make sure that uh everything is in the right place and in the right order uh yeah i'll, I'll do a once over um just uh, as far as um you know balloon placement and things like that and to make sure things are aligned whether we have balloons butted to the to the borders mm-hmm. um make sure those things are in order um you know um colors are are within gamut within um cmyk um printing printing um colors uh i'll do once over for things like that uh as far as uh grammatical or text um things um there are some things i touch some things that i don't um one because i'm i'm you know, not a professional editor. Where I, mm-hmm. While I pride myself on on writing skills and knowing some grammar, um, there are definitely you know um, things that I'm not aware of. Where I'll leave that to to the editor to to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's say things like um, uh, there certain companies have their own style manual styles um, where I know okay, well this ellipse shouldn't have a a space after it. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll close up all those spaces, or um, if there are, are uh, breath marks, those are the the little whiskers outside of you know size and and uh, grumbles or things like that. Mm-hmm. If, you've, if you've seen it in comics, um, where they'll have spaces between them, and we'll close those up. So mm-hmm. uh, things that I'm I'm you know aware of that I can change, that I can make that call on, I'll do those. Um, but the rest of it, I'll I'll leave just because I don't want to make a mistake of saying, oh, well, this is grammatically incorrect. This needs a comma. But in the end, um, they don't necessarily need the comma. Do they ever catch things like, do the editors at the the comics production houses ever catch things like that after you've done your lettering and that you then have to go through and, and fix in your work, in the work? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm only human, so I'm definitely not going to um, catch everything. And they, they'll, they'll definitely point out, you know, when I've, I've made... Um, you know, lost something that I, I should have caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are other opportunities um, for always improving and always making sure that that you're you're sort of you know doing this quality control check mm-hmm. um, before you send that out because uh, you'll you'll end up looking at the final product and be like, oh man, I, I wish I would have caught that. And so definitely, you you want to be self aware, but you you do rely on uh, the rest of the team, mm-hmm. and that's that's one of the things I love about comics. It's it's a, a total team effort and. Yeah. Having you know that that support base where everybody can can sort of check and balance each other, then that that's you know one of the best things I love about this industry. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, one thing that I'm thinking about as I listen to you talk is that uh, some of what you do is not unlike, say, uh, introducing lineation into poetry and breaking a, a phrase up into lines where you can in jam a phrase and uh, suddenly suggest another meaning that gets 
transformed or changed by the next one. I mean, do you have to think about the rhythms of language, the the uh, the sound of it, these kinds of issues, as you think about how to organize the word balloons on a page? Oh, definitely. Um, one of the things that that will happen is maybe um, the writer is trying to convey something. Maybe he wants a a beat or a pause in a certain situation there's a silent panel or there's there's there should be a moment of silence or something that that really create that either tension or 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 comedy for comedic effect and um there are opportunities to to sort of use lettering to to help convey that that message that 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 idea mm-hmm. and so um yeah there are times where I'll I'll interpret a uh, page or try to interpret what the the writer um or the artist wants to do because some, sometimes those things um change from from script to the art the the writer might have called for for something where it's um a character really yelling right and and just really fired up but the the art may have not been drawn to that dramatic effect and Mm -hmm. so whereas in the script they might say this character that usually if you're you're trying to indicate in a script that some text should be big and loud um, for emphasis, it'll be in all caps or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I go to the art and I look at the page and maybe the character is not as, as animated or he's, he's a little more subdued, uh, I might, um, not add that, that big, bold, emphasized text and, and create something a little softer. And like the same thing with the, the uh, a pause, I might break up the word balloons in a way where it, uh, where It'll create that that stretch of breath. Um, we'll use tail connectors to sort of determine that, or or maybe um, an empty word balloon that that you know sort of indicates uh, there's nothing being spoken, or hmm. just complete silence and decide on that. Hmm. You you worked on uh, issue twenty four of Batman, that proposal issue, right? Yes. So in that proposal issue that that you did with with Tom King and uh, David Finch, Danny Mickey. Uh, Seth and Clay Mann. Um, do you remember uh, any particular challenges or, or interesting details that came up uh, in the course of, of that five-hour day, I assume, that you spent on that? Or five-hour part of a day? Uh, five-hour, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it was, it was really... I think working on Batman is is fun because... Um, and I, t- I tweeted this out that day I was working on it because I was so excited. Um, it's It's... It's more so than than other books a a um, a lesson in in designing word balloons and designing the page. Um, as I mentioned, you know, it's sort of like graphic design, and I was I was really you know focused on that aspect when I was working on that particular book. Um, there's this one page. Uh, it's 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 not a double page spread, but it is across you know two pages. Um, I think it's like six and seven uh, where there's I created this sort of semicircle of the the word balloons across um, the two pages, and uh, it would you know it's not something that that somebody asked for. It's not something you know that was called for in the script or or the artist or anyone um, said to do this. But I thought it created a nice balance and a nice rhythm, and and I, I do that throughout the book where I'm I'm creating these these rhythmic um, lines through the the um, using the the balloons to kind of shape the page. Hmm. Uh, David uh, likes to do these overlapping panels. So I look at that and say, oh, well, well, what can I do with this? And so I'll overlap 
some of the panels with some of the captions to kind of mimic that mm-hmm. and create that movement through the page. It produces uh, that drama that, that David is trying to convey, I think, with that, oh, yeah. that sense of uh, dynamically overlapping panels. Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. And so, um, and, you're, and you're trying to sort of do this within the the limitations of of the page. You don't want to cover too much art, like I was saying. Um, you you want to to be um, in this sort of uh, left to right motion. So you'll, you'll have to sort of undulate the the word, um, the the captions and the balloons as best as possible within this um, this frame um, to to create that that look that you're trying to go for. So yeah, there was a, there were a lot of moments like that where I was trying to really do something that, that helped along. There's, um, a page, I, I think it, um, it might've been, um, uh, uh, another page, not, not by David, by, by Seth or, um, where there was this curvilinear perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the, the, that vertiginous shot where you're looking down on the two characters on the top yeah. of the building. Oh yeah. Yes. And so I wanted to let that breathe as much as possible, but I also wanted to sort of follow that shape. And so the tail itself became something that I was I was working with there. The, Usually the tail I do of the these bubble, straight tails. You mean, of the balloon? The, yes, yes. Uh, and so the balloon that's going towards uh, one of the, I believe it's um, um, Claire speaking, uh, with the tail that's going to her, it, it sort of follows this this curve. Um, usually I'll do uh, more straightened tails. They'll, they'll have a softer curve, but this one I, I, I did a little more exaggerated because I wanted to follow that that perspective there. And so things like that were just um, jumping out to me, and I really wanted to to do something dynamic with the book. And and I, I really hope you know it helped out the book. Yeah. Well, you also have a an interesting dynamic in that book, which is that um, there were two separate teams of artists who who told the two stories, but the the narrative, the text that we're reading uh, often overlaps. You know, you hear dialogue from one story while you're looking at the images of another. You say that you're really informed in your choices uh, and your your design uh, work by the art that you're looking at. Did having two different art styles in the book affect that? Uh, not not as much. Mm-hmm. I, I I thought it. Um, you know, in, in that particular book, I think the the story itself, as you say, we're we're looking at um, something going on in in Batman's life where he's he's going rooftop to rooftop with Catwoman, um, juxtaposed with his dialogue with Claire. Uh, I think I think that sort of helped that that idea where I, I didn't have to worry so much about you know ma- managing the two different art styles. And uh, obviously, you know, it already has an established look to the book where. Um, where I'm not going to to stray too much from from art style or art style, hmm. uh, but I, I I would do certain things on on like I said with the curvilinear perspective on um, Seth's pages. Um, I did certain things there, whereas on um, Danny's with the overlapping panels. And so so these I think those different little smaller ideas hmm. were were placed within the framework of the individual page rather than this overarching theme that I created. Mm-hmm. It was more, you know, from page to page, what can I do here? Yeah. Um, so to return to the larger issues, um, you say it takes about five hours to do a book on average. Does that mean, so it means you're doing one and a half to two a day usually? Um, 
if it works out that way, I I, I also run a um a lettering studio with um you know uh seven other staff letterers. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of my day is consumed by uh, project management. Okay. Um, and is that all comics work, or, or are you doing other stuff in that lettering studio? Uh, it's it's mostly comics work. Um, it's it's primarily comics. I, I we do also do um children's books, but uh, uh, and and design for for different um sort of other publishing venues. Um, but it's it's primarily comics work where I have a, a five of five of my guys. They they work on uh, lettering different books, mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm really sort of managing that. Um, whether I'm looking at proofs from them to kind of give them feedback so that we uh, maintain the established house style. Mm-hmm. A lot of my day is also spent um, doing you know day to day things like uh, res- responding to clients and uh, um, so yeah uh, and. On a given day, I can be working on um, a single book, but also sort of um, doing management for other projects as well. Like I said, I, I've got my hands on, um, I'd say, I'd say we're juggling maybe around forty projects a month. Wow! And so, uh, yeah, so really taking care of those um, takes takes up the majority of what I want to do. And uh, yeah, so it's it's not always lettering the the, the comic that. Um, takes the most time. I, th- I think. I think a lot of people know. A lot of the editors and and people in the position to hire know that uh, lettering doesn't take, um, you know, really long. It shouldn't take, you know, days, months, or whatever, um, mm-hmm. or whatever have you. And so um, scheduling, they might think, oh, I, well, I can give him this, and he can turn this around by tomorrow. But um, it doesn't always work like that because there are other things that are other factors. Whether you're working on another book to letter, or whether you mm-hmm. have other projects going on. I'd usually say um, if I get mm, two days notice on a book, um, I'm, I'm good to go. I can I can jump on that and and, and make sure that's going to to meet deadline. Um, I'd prefer longer, obviously, but uh, yeah, give give me two days and I, I can make it happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so that five hour day might stretch <laughs> over a period of time. Uh, it sounds like the financial part of it must be really complicated since you're managing a studio, working with contracts with different companies, and and so on all at once. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's something that I didn't anticipate going into business for myself, uh, and uh, it, it's it's definitely something that I'd, I'd you know broach to people who want to jump into this career or any freelance career for that matter. Uh, it's it's there. It's a business just like anything else, and yeah. so you're you're becoming a business, and um, where you're you're having to to do all of that you're having to do your own customer service you're having to do your own um taxes and, and financial department you're, you're being all of the departments for for one business mm-hmm. um and into a singular person and uh you know the, the financial aspect definitely um plays a role where uh, i have to be concerned with with um keeping the books keeping records uh handling the taxes handling um other finances whether um you know uh the day-to-day purchases and things like that but also um when you when you have to do anything credit-based it, it becomes a real task mm-hmm. I, every time i have to like i said i bought a house uh, a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and uh that that's a bigger you know bigger hoops to jump through rather than when they're just asking for normal pay stubs i can't provide normal pay stubs right <laughs> so it becomes something a little larger than just and here and here's my paperwork Let's go. And um, both both my wife and I are self employed, so it's 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 even more difficult. Yeah. Uh, finding things like healthcare, that's um you know 
a little more challenging because um, we're not under a company umbrella. Mm-hmm. We have to actually go out there and and search through um, different healthcare companies. Yeah, I mean that speaks to a change I think within the comics industry as a whole. I, I as I understand it, the in in the older days, letterers would have often been in house. In in some cases, going really far back, uh, artists themselves might have done some of the lettering, but. Uh, the more distributed business that we see now, where someone like you is working for a bunch of different comics companies and publishing houses and things, uh, leads to a really different model that affects the way that someone like you can conducts your life, lives your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of years ago where I read this book, The E-Myth Principle, and uh, it sort of described how small businesses, what small businesses fail from what succeed. And one of the things that... Uh, sort of um drew my interest was this this factor of of being the technician versus being um the business itself having a business worldview and i i sort of took that to heart where at the time i was the business i was you know i'm i'm the person you know um responsible for everything if if um if i couldn't work there's there's no revenue coming in right mm-hmm. and so that that really scared me because as a as a father, as a family man, um, I have to be able to provide for my family. If something happens, how do how do I monetize this? How do I how do I do that? And so, um, so trying to separate my life from the actual business and, and turn it into something else, which is why I established the studio itself, um, was really important to me. And I I looked at that and how do I make this something where there can be a, a steady revenue stream and be um, something where I'm, I'm speaking with multiple clients, speaking with not just, you know, becoming a, um, a single single house letter. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can offer services to, to multiple clients and, yeah. and make um, a living. Yeah. Well, I want to let you go soon, but, but I also want to ask this. What's the most satisfying part of lettering comics for a living what do you like about this job <laughs> what do i like about this i i like it's it's comic books you know it's mm-hmm. it's fun it's, it's it's such a fun industry and um you know just being it like i i don't have to call it work mm-hmm. i i get to do something that i love i get to play with characters play in worlds that i love and and um you know get to be a part of this this bigger pop culture phenomenon um, you know, I, I can talk to, to family members who, and they'll ask me what I do. And I'm not necessarily I'm strangers, family members, whoever. Um, they ask, well, what are, you, what are you doing nowadays? And um, when I let them know, yeah, I'm working on Batman. <laughs> That's, a, you know, their eyes light up. Yeah. Uh, you know, even with this um, this issue we're discussing, issue 24 of Batman and, and that iconic moment with Catwoman. Uh, my, my daughter, who, who pays no interest in me whatsoever, she doesn't care. She could, <laughs> you know, be far from from excited about anything her dad works on she says hey did you know that that um batman promote pro, proposed to catwoman and i i opened up my page where i lettered him on his knees and um she was like wow you did that and that, that was a highlight for me <laughs> yeah you know, just things like that it's it's yeah. just being part of this this larger culture and it's it's just so fun i i, I wouldn't trade it for anything um this has been really great uh it's so fascinating to learn about this stuff um and uh, i'm really excited to share with people thank you so much man thank you appreciate it bye-bye
Thanks for listening to this episode of Working. I'm Jacob Brogan. We'd love to hear your thoughts about working. Our email address is working at slate.com, and I do read and respond to those emails uh, as often as I can. Uh, I try to get to all of them. You can also listen to past episodes at slate.com slash working. This episode wouldn't have been possible without production assistance from AC Valdez, Afim Shapiro, and Verilyn Williams. It was edited by Benjamin Frisch. Benjamin Frisch.